This is a Crestview Bible Podcast. For more information, visit crestviewhutch.org. Luke chapter 3, again, verses 1 through 20. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go ahead and start out by reading that section together. Uh, So follow along as I read Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Eritrea and Triconitus, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? He answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? He said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all that he locked up John in prison. This is God's word. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you did not leave us in the dark, but uh, you have shown us Jesus. 
Jesus is revealed right here in this, world, in this word, and he's coming, and we, we want hearts that are ready uh, for him to do a work in our lives. And so may this word this morning, uh, may your word teach us, instruct us, comfort us, mold us, shape us according to his likeness. Uh, let us see and, and experience Jesus this morning through your word. Um, so do this, open up, open up hearts, uh, open up our eyes, open up our ears to be able to see and to hear Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Exactly, almost exactly 11 months ago, on February the 8th, 2023, after a chapel service on the campus of Asbury College in Kentucky, a handful of students decided they wanted to linger around to stay, to pray, and to sing. This led, after a few minutes and hours, this led to a few more students coming back into this chapel service throughout the day. Until the end of the day, there were dozens and dozens of students pouring into the chapel building, praising God, praying, repenting, hearts being turned to the Lord. As word spread around campus and into social media, hundreds even thousands came to see what God was doing on this small college campus in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. Ten days into this continual worship service, tens of thousands ended up descending upon Asbury. Several sites began to be erected, and security measures had to be put into place. You may have heard about this event that happened last year. Major national news events were covering it as it was happening, developing, and of course, as is always, controversy abounded. Students and staff were definitely not expecting this to happen on a random day in the middle of February. The chapel speaker, after it, um, he actually texted his wife a message after, after he spoke that day, saying, latest stinker, I'll be home soon. No student, no faculty, no administration, no staff, no one saw this movement of the Spirit coming. And this is quite normal for revival movements if you track it throughout history. It's, it always comes surprise. You can't plan for it. You can't prepare for it. It's just the Spirit on the move. And in a similar way, this happened in the Gospel of Luke. This is just a Luke chapter 3 as we come there. It's just a typical season in a typical year uh, in the middle of nowhere, Israel. And it was just a random time, and Jesus was about to show up and change the world forever. The seed of the woman was about to come to destroy the serpent the offspring of Abraham, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the prophet greater than Moses, the lamb of God, the forever son of David, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the branch of Jesse, the Messiah, Emmanuel, prince of peace, was coming. 
the one who is about to turn the darkness into light, the one who is going to right all the wrongs, the one who is going to bury our sins to the bottom of the ocean, the one who is about to set the captives free, those under oppression be given mercy, the one who sets us free from our bondage of sin and shame, the one who raises the dead to life, the only one who can bear our shame on the cross, defeat our sin by rising again from the dead, having victory over the grave. This one is about to come. Is Israel ready? Are we ready for him to come to burst on to the scene? Are you ready for him to do a work in our lives? If you have yet to trust in Christ and give your life to him, you better get ready. He's coming. Those of you who have, are you ready for him to burst on the scene right here in Hutchinson, in our homes, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in all of our spheres of life? I mean, how do we even get ready for a person like this? How do we get ready for the King of Kings coming and dwelling among us? Pomp and circumstance, throw a massive party, get a parade through the streets, get security detail out. Well, I hope you uh, get a sense already from the first couple of chapters of Luke, that's not how God operates. God says, you know what, this is, how I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to do to get my son to burst on the scene. How about some random guy dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts with honey on it, coming out of the desert and saying, repent! Sounds like a great idea. Well, that's what God does when we least expect it from the person we probably least expect it to come from. And what does he say? He says to repent. Repent for the forgiveness of sins. We don't like to talk about repentance. It's a scary word. What does that mean and why do they need to do it? Repentance is it's more than just a moral change. It's more than feeling sorry for something. It's more than promising to never do it again. It's more like, it's more like a change of allegiance. It's like a soldier who realizes that he's been fighting on the wrong side and then pleads his allegiance to the true king. That's repentance. That's biblical repentance, a recognition that you have been following a different God, whether that's family, whether that's self, whether that's career, whether that's comfort. In the kingdom of Christ, there are no rivals. There is no rivals. All pale in comparison to the one Jesus Christ. So for ancient Israel, water, it meant that purification. It's a symbol for them, like, like taking a bath first thing in the morning to kind of cleanse all that stuff off. And um, the, the conference, they, they talked about repentance and they quoted an old guy and they said that repentance is like vomit of the soul. It's like vomit of the soul. So when 
we had somebody on our trip that had uh, some stomach problems. We said, would you stop repenting? We need you to stop repenting and get better. Um, that's not the idea, but we, we, want, we want there to, it's like this, getting this disgusting stuff out of us is what repentance is. Chapter 3, verse 3 says that this was a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. That doesn't mean that through this action that forgiveness is there, but it's getting them ready for the salvation that God is bringing. Verse 6, that salvation of God is coming. We want God to show up in incredible ways in our community. I, I want that. I want God to show up. I want Jesus to burst onto the scene. We want to see transformative changes in our lives. We want to see homes restored. We want to see addictions to be broken. We want to see darkness exposed by the light. We want, to, we want hope for the hopeless. We want peace for the weary, happiness in the morning. We want this for our town. We want this for our home. Jesus is the only solution. Are we ready for him to move? But it's got to start right here first. That's what, Jesus, that's what John the Baptist does. He says, it's going to start right here among God's people. We've got to be ready for this. Are we ready? Crestview, are we ready for Jesus to do something incredible in Hutchinson in 2024? So let's get ready. Let's prepare for Jesus to do a work among us. If you have, have your notes, I have three, three t- very tangible ways that John shows us about how to get ready for Jesus to come right here into Hutchinson, Kansas. So the first, which we find in verses 1 to 6, is to let go of a perfect timing. Just let go. Let go of that perfect timing. Luke begins by showing us all of the crazy political religious scene that's there in verses 1 and 2. You see, why is he listing all of these these guys that are here, and Philip, and Herod, and these tetrarchs, and this governor, and Pontius Pilate. What, what, what is the point of all of that? Some people think it's so, so we can get a better date on it. Some people think it's uh, those kind of things, but you, can, you still can't get a hard date um, on when that is. Uh, I, I believe is to show, John. What, what Luke is trying to do is to show things were messed up at that time. The kingdom is split up. We've got evil rulers who are trying to dismantle uh, everything. Uh, or, uh, we have the Caesar guy who is uh, a pagan guy who are uh, putting a thumb down on God's people. We have two high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. How do you have two high priests? There's supposed to be one high priest. And so there's, there's chaos happening. This is not the perfect timing for Jesus to come. But that doesn't matter to God. He isn't limited by all that. He talked about the, the Asbury um, event that happened earlier this year already. But do you realize that there are revival movements happening all over the world, just not in the U.S.? Let me tell you about a few. In Iran, there is a massive underground church, probably the fastest growing church in the world is in the country of Iran. No, not the country of Iran. We don't say that. It's the country of Iran. Fastest growing church in the world. It's an area where there is over a million believers that have come to Christ in the last decade. 
what miss, miss, missiologists have said. They can't, there's, the government is trying to actively, vocally squash this movement, but they can't contain it when Jesus moves in. When Jesus moves in, the gates of hell won't prevail. Thailand. There's a movement that started there in the last few years that has caused an explosive house church movement across the village and remote areas of Thailand just in the last few years. Mass baptisms are happening that's basically reshaping the persecution of Christianity in a strong Buddhist nation. The country of Myanmar, or you might under, know this as the country of Burma, a military coup has been there for the last three years, and it's, that has actually, the military coup has spurred on revival amongst this intensely suffering community. Even though churches are targeted by resistance forces, poverty and hunger are rampant, yet still people are seeing the love of Christ followers and the church is spreading. They see them turning away from violence and hatred and loving their oppressors. And they say, who is this Jesus that causes one to do that? Country of Algeria. Algeria is in northern Africa. A strong Islamic foothold there, yet tens of thousands of Berber ethnic group is turning to Jesus. This church is growing so much that they're actually becoming a hub of gospel workers being sent out from Algeria to other parts of North Africa as gospel workers. It's amazing. India, a very pro-Hindu government, would like to think that Christianity isn't growing in their country, but that couldn't be further from the truth. The church has seen a massive growth just in the last decade of people from all classes, all walks of life, coming to faith in Christ. Do we know about these things that are happening over around the world? Are you aware of the Spirit working in these different countries? They don't get the social media presence. They're probably in... A, Areas, war, these are war-torn areas. These are areas of high, high persecution. Governments and culture are against them. But man, spirit is on the move. That doesn't stop the gates. That, the, the gates of hell won't stop the spirit. It won't stop the church. It's exactly the type of situation where God loves to work. When Jesus loves to break in and say, I want these people for myself. So what are you waiting for in turning to Jesus in repentance and faith? Are you waiting for the right circumstance? Are you waiting for uh, the right um, milestone that's there? Are you waiting for life to slow down? Jesus is coming. Jesus is about to do a work in this community, and are we going to be ready for it? It's not going to happen in our perfect timing, so let's just let go of that expectation. Let's just let go that it's going to happen in some perfect timing of our, of our world once life slows down. It's not going to happen. So let's be ready for him. Let's, let's join in celebrating his work around us. Let's not sit on the sidelines 
coddling our idols and living in our own ways, begin to open up your eyes and see the work that's happening around us, around the world, how the kingdom is entering through Jesus. Amen? Second, second way to be ready for Jesus, very practical way, something that's probably not new among us. You hear this probably every other week in Sermon Outline, but to love your neighbors. And I'm going to add a word, love your neighbors intentionally. Loving your neighbors intentionally, verses 7 through 14. So when you, when you think of repentance, what comes to mind? Is it like stop doing a certain activity? Well, that's certainly part of it. I won't disagree there. But it doesn't end there. You turn from your sin and your rebellion and you claim allegiance to Jesus and you, as, we, as they talked about in Sunday school, turning from, turning from sin and then turning to Jesus. You look at him and it's like, okay, now what does now life look like? And that's what the crowds ask. Well, now what do I do? What does life in Christ now look like? Actually, before the crowds ask, he goes on the attack, calling them a brood of vipers, poisonous sons of poisonous snakes. That's a church growth strategy right there. I'm going to take that back to my South Asian pastors and say, what you got to do is you got to tell everybody in your congregation, you're just a bunch of snakes. Uh, it's not going to, I don't think that's going to fly. So why does he call them snakes? Well, in the wilderness, where John was living before he came out to preach this message. There was, when there was a brush fire, the snakes would sense it and they would, they would sense the, the fire coming and then they would start running away from them, starting running away from the fire. So John asked them who told them to run away from the judgment that is coming. It's like, uh, it's like those people that are, are, are on, the, on the highway. I was, I was doing some dr- highway driving this week. It's like those people that are on the dr- highway. They're like going 90, 95, and they're going up over the hill, and they come down over the hill, and what's at the bottom of the hill? Highway patrol, right? Highway patrol is there, and what do they do? Let me, let me slam on my brakes as if that's going to help them, as if the, 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 the speeder, like the, the, the radar gun didn't already catch them at the top of the hill, but they think, oh, somehow, let me see if I can correct it. No, it's, the judgment's already coming, and that's what John the Baptist is saying. Like, it's not going to do you any good to break at the top of the hill. It's already done. And he says, don't, I don't, he's like, I don't want to hear your excuses. I know what your excuses are. We have Abraham as our father. We're good. We're good to go. We got Abraham. Even I've heard these excuses. I, I, I've prayed a prayer when I was little. I, I've grown up in a, in a Christian home. I try and attend church every week. I'm living a, a pretty decent, I would say, American Christian life. Don't let the evil one whisper in your ear saying, did God really say that you need to repent? It's the other guy who does. God is, it says in verse 9, God is ready with his axe to cut down the bad tree. So what do we do then? What does repentance look like? Let's get real practical. No ambiguity. What does a life full of love for Jesus, what does that look like? Well, there's three different people that come to him, verses 10 through 14. Verses 11, in verse 11, the crowds come to him. And John answers, don't be concerned with your stuff. 
Don't be concerned with your stuff. Don't keep collecting things. He tells the tax collectors in verses 12 and 13, don't collect more than you need to. The soldiers in verse 14, who would be paid pretty meager salaries, so in order to compensate what they thought was not a livable wage, they would use their power to get more. So really, this is about what does repentance look like? What is a life filled with a love for Christ? Doesn't necessarily mean, which it means this, yes, but doesn't necessarily mean, oh, I'm just going to need to be reading my Bible more. I need to be praying more. I need to be doing this. Yeah, there's a, that love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. But it's also about loving your neighbor as yourself. And these, so why, why this stuff? Why these things? Why? These are, I think these are basic kingdom values, values that Jesus lived, values that he taught. These are radical statements, and I think radical statements that really, really push the American buttons, right? I, I hear a lot. The excuses that I hear is not, we have Abraham as our father. The one I, the one I hear is, well, I've got to be good stewards of what I have. I gotta be a good steward. I gotta provide for my family. I do. So, yes, they, they do need two coats. Wait, what? Yeah. Last I checked, you only need one. Well, yeah, but they, they need one for this outfit and that outfit and this outfit. So I need, I need multiple coats for my multiple outfits. So I'm just trying to be a good steward of what God has given me. Wait, what? That's bonkers. Good steward? While others are out in the cold, while people don't have food, while there is all these things happening in our community, and yet we, we claim stewardship as our excuse why we can't invest in the lives of others. Our culture is predicated on looking out for ourselves at the expense of others. Let's just be honest. And that's not the way of Christ. And why get ready this way? Why this way? Why loving our neighbors? Jesus wants his church to get ready this way because he is about to love on these type of people. He says, I preach good news to the poor, giving sight to the blind. He cares for those people. It's the people that he loves. And he's about to turn the hearts of those people to himself. Maybe people that you don't necessarily like. People that, as, uh, as Phil talks about, that just rub you the wrong way. He's about to turn their hearts for Christ, for himself. And he wants us to guard ourselves from becoming like the older brother and resenting these people. Are you ready for that? If you're hating your neighbor, looking out for just yourself, only paying attention to you and to your family, what's going to happen when Jesus transforms and blesses their lives, maybe at the expense of your life? Are you ready for that? What's your reaction going to be? Is it going to be, yes, finally, Jesus has broken through to what I couldn't do? Or is it going to be, 
How dare he do that? Don't you know that I have needs, Jesus? What about my stuff? What about my things? The axe is laid at the root of the trees. So what should you do? Well, ask God this question, but I have some examples to get you started. This is not a rule list to follow. This is not like, I better do this. This is just some examples, just practical examples. If you're, if you're thinking like, oh, I want to be able to do that, but what does that look like, Luke? Let me give you some. Tip really well at restaurants. You know, the minimum of like 18, 20, 22. What about like selecting like 33 or 40%? What about selecting 50%? Well, Luke, but you, don't, you don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to steward my money well. Again, he who has two tunics, give to those who have one. Waiters and waitresses have a hard time eking out a livable wage. And here we are trying to keep some of this money to ourselves. Imagine if Christians all over town were generous at restaurants. Sadly, the reputation is that Christians are the worst tippers. Uh, have an open home to those who are lonely and have no one. Invite them to your parties. Invite them to your get-togethers. Um, there's, we're going to get to Luke chapter 14. One of my uh, favorite passages, it says that when you host a party, when you have a feast, do not invite your friends, the rich people, this and that, but invite the poor, the weak, the lame. He doesn't say, what you should do is do this. If you want, if you have space, if you're comfortable with it, you should maybe, if you have time, you should do that. He says, don't do that. But rather, invite an imperative word. So have open homes. Have open hands, open hearts. There are so many people in our community who are lonely, who are depressed, have no one. Imagine if we had, if Christians, if, if people right here in this room had open, open doors, come on in. I can spare an hour, two hours of my life to hear your story. No, but we actually, we just want to, sorry, let me close our door so I can turn on Netflix, right? Sorry, I'm, 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 I can, I'm coming out from a conference, so I'm, on, I'm hot, I'm hot. All right, so um, another one, stop collecting stuff. Stop saying, like, I need this, I need that. Take the words of John seriously and not as some radical, right? Oh, well, that's John, that's, he's just so, you know, this is inspired scripture, right, guys? Like, this is actually God's word to us. Those of you who have food, give to those At work, don't be involved in shortcuts, unethical behaviors. Have genuine care, concern for your end users, your clients. Don't just work for the paycheck, the promotion. Model that same love that you've experienced from God. Model that to your end user and put your full forth, put full effort into that. So those are just some practical things about loving your I just wanted to kind of go with John and be like, okay, what are some practical things in our 2024 Central Kansas idols that we can smash? Like I said, it's not, just, it's not a to-do list. It's not like you better do this or else. 
I'm just encouraging you guys. This is just some practical ways of what repentance looks like today. Last, real, real quick, to look at the true Savior. So we, we let go of a perfect timing. We love our neighbors intentionally. And then we look at the true Savior. What's, what happens is uh, they're, they're looking. They're saying, they're, they, the people of Israel are looking for the Messiah. And they're saying, wait, wait a minute. Is, is this John? Is this John guy the Messiah? Is he it? Is he the one? Is he the Messiah that we're looking for? But John squashes that idea. He says in the end that his baptism is useless. It's just, it's just water for crying out loud. He's not doing anything special. But rather, he says, there's a mightier one who is coming. The better baptism is coming. Why? Who is this mightier one? Who is this Messiah? Well, his love is going to be sweeter than John's. His sacrifice is pure. His authority is endless. His reign is eternal. And his baptism, John says, is with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Because a change of behavior is not going to cut it. A change of behavior is not going to cut it. We need Jesus. Repentance without Christ is like trying to climb the Mount Everest without legs. It's not going to happen. And John knows this. I mean, how many of us have promised change in our lives? New Year's resolutions, anyone? How that was going? I've heard from some of you that you don't even do resolutions because it's like, what's the point? I know it's not going to work. Our lives are a testimony that we can't repent, that we can't change our lives just by some H2O being poured on us. Jesus is the only one who can save. He is the change maker. He is the savior. He is the only hope for our lives. The only hope for change. And the Messiah is coming. He's coming to bring salvation. It says, good news, verse, verse 18. The rescue plan for mankind that was promised to our first parents is finally arrived. Yes, Jesus came to bring good news of salvation and how beautiful it is for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. That even in our rebellion, even in our shameful disloyalty, in our rejection of him, he comes in his grace and his mercy and his love to rescue us, to redeem us, just as he promised us. At the same time, he also brings judgment. Verse 5, verse 9, verse 17, all talk about Jesus Christ coming as Savior, but also as judge. And that's not new to the Gospel of Luke. And Simeon says the same thing in chapter 2, verse 34. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed. And Luke mentions it again in Acts chapter 10, verse 42, when he is talking about Peter's sermon. Peter summarizes and says that Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So let's be clear that Jesus has come as Savior who put their faith and trust in his life, death, and resurrection for the forgiveness of their sins. At the same time, Jesus has come as judge for all those who reject God and turn to their own ways, whether religious 
or irreligious. It doesn't matter. If you've rejected Christ, there is judgment that's coming, a judgment by fire. If you are here and you're holding on to Christ by a thread of faith, just a mustard seed of faith, and you've, you've, repent, you've repented, but you feel that you're insecure in your salvation in Christ, just remember that it's not you that's holding on. It's Jesus that's holding on to you. You may be saying, I've seen so little fruit in my life. Maybe repentance isn't real. Well, when, uh, we have some plants around our house, and um, I keep seeing them. They're like, there's some dead leaves that come on there, and I'm like, Julie, just toss that thing. It's worthless. She's like, just give us some time. Just give us some time. And I'm like, no, just toss that thing. She waters it, and she waters it. Soon enough, I'm like, yep, I was wrong again. Um, it came, it's, there's some green that comes in there uh, after some of the dead leaves have, go, have gone. And so maybe you see, like, there's some, there's some death in you. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe Christ doesn't have me. No, there, if you have trusted in Christ, he's got you. He's holding on to you. Keep pursuing after Christ, repenting towards him, living in the power of the Spirit, and know that you will produce good fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold, God would say. So in conclusion, God is coming to our city. Are you making yourself ready for God to bring salvation to us? Are you ready for, all, for, for Hutchinson, all of Hutchinson, to see the salvation of our God? Or are you living like all flesh, pursuing your own desires and wants? Are you ready for God to exalt the humble and poor of this life? Are you ready for God to humble those who are exalted? Are you ready for him to do something amazing? Are you praying for the spirit to move in your neighborhoods, in your societies? Are you pleading and wrestling for his salvation to come to your family? And some of us, we need to leave our comforts, our fears, our desires, our discouragements, our hurts. Give them up to Christ. Give them up to him. Not, not looking for a perfect timing. Just start loving your neighbor and look for Jesus to do amazing things. It means loving people where you're at, with what you're doing, with intentionality, with radical love of God. Go in the power of the Spirit to your communities and notice what's going to result in verse 19 and 20. Notice what might result, what happened to John. Preaching repentance to everyone, even to leaders, it could bring persecution. It's going to bring loss. It's going to bring sacrifice. We're going to lose from this. There's going to be a death in us, yes. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. When we die to ourselves, we don't just die. We get the life of Christ in us. We get him. So are we ready to repent and live with this love for his glory, his name, 
for others. Are we ready for that?